be in the 14th chapter of the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, um, and we're going to be reading an account of Abram and Lot. Uh, many of you have heard of them before, uh, but we'll be reading of an account of these men uh, here this evening. Uh, I don't think we'll be long. Again, the classic preacher lie, but that is the, <laughs> I, I genuinely don't think that will be long, but and we want God's will to be done and the things that he would desire to be said to be said. I'm going to read uh, chapter 14, uh, starting in the first verse, and reading down uh, a little well, about halfway through that. Uh, the first portion of this has some harder names to pronounce. Uh, I've practiced, and uh, we'll try to do our best to read it the way it is written, but uh, I just pray for your patience and compassion with me as I uh, try to read this hard text of Scripture. Genesis 14, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, and Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemaber, king of Zeboim, and, the king of and king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the vale of Sidium, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chedorlaomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Chedorlaomer, and the king that were with and the kings that were with him, and smote the Refri and smote the Refriams and Ashtaroth, Canaan. And the Zuzims in Ham, and Emims in Sheva Karethaim, and the Horites in their Mount Seir unto Elperan, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazes and Tamar. And there went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim. And the king of Bela, the same as Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Sidim. With Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, king of nations, and Amraphel, the king of Shinar, Shinar and Arioch, and Arioch, king of Eleazar, four kings with five. And the vale of Sidim was full of slime pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of memory, and the Amorite brother of Eshkel, and the brother of Anar. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. And we'll stop our reading there. Uh, forgiving my many mistakes, uh, that is the first 14 verses of 
excuse me, first 16 verses of the 14th chapter of the book of Genesis. Uh, and if you would, just bow with me in prayer for a moment. My God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, for this privilege of reading your word. And God, we just ask that you would uh, make your word live to our hearts. For we know it is inspired by you, that it was breathed by you. Uh, and God, but it is a spiritually understood book, and we need your help in understanding it. So God, I just pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and that it would sanctify the preaching of your word tonight. I pray as your children, as your church, that we'd grow more mature in the faith, that we'd grow closer to you, Lord, and that tomorrow morning we would wake up with a better encouragement to fight this fight that's before us. Lord, strengthen our hearts, help our church, and Lord, may we always look to you for full dependence on all things. We love you. Save the lost. Amen. Amen. Abram to the rescue. That's what I would call uh, my message tonight if I had to title it. That's not something I normally do. Men are gifted at that. That's not one of my gifts. Um, but it did come to heart as we read today, Abram uh, to the rescue. Um, it's helpful to kind of know what has gone up to this point uh, in order to understand what's happening here. So we'll reference a lot from the 13th chapter. Um, and many of you are probably familiar with Abram and with Lot, uh, but we'll reference a few of those things as we read today. So um, just to be aware of that, that we'll be also reading some in the 13th chapter. But at the beginning of the 14th chapter, what has taken place is a great war uh, has happened. Uh, four kings against five kings. And these kings couldn't have harder names to pronounce, as you, as you heard as we read. Um, and they were from places that were hard to pronounce, but we tried our best to, to make them accurate. But, um, but what had happened is that four kings had raised, risen up against five kings, and they had this great battle in the valley. And the thing is that this war um, was between nations and people that weren't the children of God. So there would have been a good possibility that this would have never been even recorded in Scripture in the history of uh, of God's people, had they not have taken captive the nephew of Abram named Lot. If Lot had not been where he was, this probably wouldn't have been a recorded battle in history because it dealt with people that were not the children of God and really had nothing to do with the children of God other than the fact that there was one child of God that found himself in the middle of the whole thing, and that was Lot. And I think we can learn a lot about it uh, tonight in our own hearts about Lot's decisions, about why he was in the place that he was at, uh, and what was the consequences of being where he was at. And then we see Abram rising up uh, to his rescue in a very valiant and faithful way. And I think there's some lessons for us to learn. I know for my own heart and for my own sake, uh, there was a lot of lessons to learn. Um, now, when God put this on my heart, I had nothing particular you know, sometimes you read a, a Bible verse and you think of a particular instance that's happening in someone's life or in a church and, uh, you know, it just burns in your heart. And I was once told, unless God is just completely leading you, the worst time to preach on something that's happening within the church is when it's happening, right? When there's an open wound to preach about that very subject, sometimes it's the least effective uh, because people don't want to hear about it. Um, so uh, they said, unless the Lord is obviously leading you to preach on those things, the best time to preach on something uh, like tithing is when everyone's tithing really well, you know, or the best time to preach on 
some sort of sinful condition within the church is when that sinful condition is not currently present, but that it is preventative, like preventative medicine, and pre you know we go to get our teeth cleaned so that later on we don't get a cavity. Uh, and I thought that was wise counsel from an older minister, you know, because sometimes you think, well, this situation is happening in our church, so I need to go and address it specifically and right away. And a lot of times he said, if the Lord is not in the midst of that, which obviously, but if the Lord is not in the midst of that and you just feel like you should do that because it's happening, you're going to cause more harm than you're going to cause good. And to be thoughtful of that and prayerful to never address something that's happening currently unless the Lord is directly in it. And Clearly, uh, he understood and I understood that unless the Lord's in it, regardless, it's not going to be good. Uh, but I thought it was wise counsel. So when I read this, I wasn't thinking of anything that was happening within the church. So I don't want you to think that this has anything to do with something that's going on. Uh, however, as, as God has impressed it upon my heart, it is hard not to think of things happening uh, among us. So uh, just be prayerful about that and how it applies to you and how it applies to this church uh, and be reasonable about how we should apply it ourselves. But, so, that's the narrative. This great battle between these five kings and four kings. And they began to battle in this valley. And part of these kings were of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is two cities that we're very familiar with probably. We've heard, even if we're not Bible students, uh, because Sodom and Gomorrah would in the future be destroyed by God uh, of judgment. Uh, cities that were known for their complete wickedness and sinfulness. Uh, uh, known for their homosexuality, known for their sin that was uh, sexual immorality and uh, sins, gross sins. And because of that, uh, God brought judgment on it, destroyed those cities, uh, and we know of it as that. Well, the kings of these cities at the time uh, joined forces with others kings, and there was this great battle of these kings. The battle of the kings is, is it's referred to sometimes, and we see that there's four against five. Well, Again, like I said, this wouldn't have been a problem for us or something that we would have read about unless Lot and Abram had something to do with it. Now, Lot got caught up in the mess because he was living in Sodom. So even though it wasn't his land and even though there's probably some reasons that we'll see that he probably should have never been there in the first place, he was there. And because he was there during this war, uh, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah were losing and their enemies came and they took all the loot that they could and they took slaves unto themselves uh, as they won this great victory in Sodom and Gomorrah. And one of those people that they took was Lot, who was Abram's nephew. So Lot was taken captive uh, and we see that Abram uh, caught wind of this. He was living in a different place at the time and he caught uh, wind that someone had escaped from them and they went and told Abram that Lot had been taken captive. Uh, and Abram raised up, I think it said 318 men, and they, they charged valiantly in, and they saved Lot, they saved the rest of the people, and they brought them home. And that's the narrative of what's happening. So the question is, what is, what is the lesson for us? Where do we, what do we see in this? Um, now, I think there's some spiritual things being taught here that are fairly plain to us. Uh, I never want to be over-spiritual to take a situation, a narrative in history, and try to apply it to all these spiritual principles that aren't there. Uh, and it's hard sometimes because uh, you want to do that, but these ones are clear. God was making a clear spiritual picture and a spiritual teaching to us through this actual historical account of Lot and Abram. Well, first, I want to look at the captivity of Lot. The captivity of Lot. He was taken captive by these men. Um, I think... 
where does it say that? Uh, verse 12, it says, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, so his nephew, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Uh, so as they came and they took, took this city over, they took Sodom over, Lot was part of that, and they took him captive, and they took his things. So the question is, why is he there in the first place? Right? Why is Lot in Sodom? And Many of you could probably answer that already as your Bible readers, but I want to look in chapter 13 and discover the reason why he's there in the first place. And so I don't read so much to bore you. I'll, I'll summarize some of chapter 13. Uh, but remember, Abram was called by God to leave his, his homeland and to go into a country that, that God would show him. Uh, and he packed up his family and he left and he followed God, not knowing where the Lord would send him. But by faith, he followed God as he called him to be the father of many nations and the father of the Jewish people. God was beginning this people. Abram was going to be the leader of that people, uh, that Jewish people, that one day Christ would be born through his lineage. And that God would bless the lineage of Abraham uh, with, with blessings beyond belief. And he promised him those things in chapter 12. So Abram packs up his family, packs up his belongings, and he begins to follow uh, the Lord, and they end up in Egypt, uh, and you can read about some of the things that happened in Egypt. It's not our topic for today at the end of chapter 12. Uh, but in chapter 13, they leave Egypt uh, and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And as they begin to travel, Abram and his family and lot, uh, Abram and Sarah and uh, lot and his wife, and they're traveling, uh, there's a feud that happens between their herdsmen. So Abram was a very wealthy man. Uh, he had a lot of uh, herdsmen, a lot of people that worked for him, a lot of uh, cattle, a lot of, lot of stuff. And in the midst of this, Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen get into a disagreement. They get into a fight. Uh, and then verse 7, it says, And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou depart from the right hand, then I will go to the left. So there's this feud happening between these people, and Abram, in a lot of wisdom and a lot of leadership, says, Listen, we're brothers, right? We're brethren in this thing. Uh, there's no need for us to be fighting amongst each other. Uh, when we have all of this land before us, let's split up. You can take your men to wherever you'd like to go, and I will take them to a different place uh, for, so that we don't have this fighting happening. So he gives Lot the option and says, go where you want. We're going to separate ourselves. And verse 10 says this, and this is why Lot ends up in Sodom. It says, and Lot lifted up his eyes. And behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou, thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So, Lot was faced with an option. He was at a crossroads. And for many of us, we face situations in our lives where we come to a crossroads. Uh, 
really at every stage in your life, there are these crossroads that come before us. Um, many of you are, are at that. I think of some of our uh, young ladies that are at places where they're choosing careers and they're thinking about spouses and they're thinking about this, that, and the other, and they're at these major crossroads of their lives uh, and they have these decisions to be made. Well, Lot found himself in a decision like this. And he had all of the land around him, but it says that he lifted up his eyes and what he saw was uh, that this valley where Sodom and Gomorrah was, was very fertile. The land was good and water. The soil was good for growing crops. And uh, what he saw was he thought that he could live uh, sumptuously. He thought that he could have what he wanted. He thought that he could have a lot of joy because the land was so good and the land was so right and the land was so rich. Everything he needed was in this valley. But we're told very specifically and purposely in verse 13, but the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Lot chose to live in Sodom because of what his eyes lusted after. He chose to live in Sodom, neglecting the fact that there were men and women living in complete and total sinfulness and rejecting the one true God of Israel. And he chose to live there because his eyes saw fertile ground. And how many of us have been in a situation where we're sitting there at a crossroads and our eyes light up and we neglect anything to do with God or what He would desire from our lives and we say, look at what I can gain for myself over here. And how many downfalls of great men and women in the church have we seen because their eyes have been lifted up and they saw themselves at a crossroads and they chose what they thought would bring fulfillment and wealth to their lives rather than seeing what God was trying to show them all along. And here this place was full of wickedness and full of sin and full of all of this stuff. Yet he lifted up his eyes and would only see that which was pleasing to himself. Now listen, we've all been there before. Many of us have probably made the wrong choice at some point in our lives and followed after the lust of our eyes and the lust of our flesh rather than choosing to look at what God would desire from us. Listen. Oftentimes, when you're at those crossroads, God doesn't speak out of a cloud from heaven and say, you need to choose this. And sometimes I say, man, it'd sure be nice if he did that. <laughs> you know, I think we've all been there as we've prayed and got upon our knees and we've cried out to the Lord and we just really want him to say, do this. Now, I've had times in my life where it felt like that, where it was almost like God was sitting right next to me giving me direction. That has been the minority of the time. I'll just be honest with you. It's not every day that I feel that kind of clear direction from the Lord. And I believe that's very purposeful by God because he says we walk by faith and not by sight. And he wants us to be students of his word. He's revealed the majority of his will for his life in this book where we don't have to question whether we should do this or that when he's very plainly declared it in his word. And he wants us to study the principles of choosing what is right and what is wrong and be able to discern in the world with a plethora of situations, right? When we want the fast food answer because we're a fast food generation, we want to know it right now and now and now. When God says, listen, I want you to pray about this. I want you to find yourself on your knees on a nightly basis, reading the word of God and asking the Lord to enlighten your heart so that through that process, you can grow closer to me and be more like Christ. And in the end, you have a larger principle that can guide you in so many different directions in your life. Yet still, so often we say, I just want a yes or a no. I want a left or a right. I want this, that, and the other. And sometimes God says, listen, 
They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and faint not. Listen, sometimes it is that struggle and it is that, that crying out to the Lord to teach you and to show you what he would desire from your life that God really wants you to go through. And it's important. Lot didn't choose to go through that. He chose to go exactly where his eyes told him to go, where his flesh said. This looks good. This looks beneficial to me. This looks like I would gain wealth and have good crops there. I'm going. You know, sometimes the clearest sign of you not doing something is to look at it and see what it is. If he would have looked at Sodom and seen what kind of city that it was and what the people were and who they were, it would have been very clear to him to not go there. But he was filled with his own lust and his own desires. So, he ended up in Sodom in the first place because he was following the lust of his own eyes rather than following the will of God for his life. So he ends up there, and I think there's a point to be made, and I hope I'm not stretching on this, but I think it's there for a purpose. Uh, in verse 12 of chapter 13, it says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom or near Sodom. So Lot dwelt in the city of the plain and pitched his tent just close to Sodom. He wasn't in Sodom, but he was close to Sodom, it says. But if you read in verse chapter 14, and again, I think this is purposeful. Study it for yourself, you reasonable people. Uh, but in, when you read about him being taken away, it says, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. So over that time period, from the time that he chose to live near Sodom to the time that they came to take him captive, he wasn't living near Sodom anymore. He was living in Sodom. And isn't that the case so often? As the child of God tries to justify their sinful choices, they say, hey, I can get close to this situation without actually being in it. And when you're telling yourself that and you're asking yourself the question, how far can I go before I'm by failing the Lord? Or how far can I go before I'm outside of his will? If you're asking yourself that question, then you're out of sight of the will of God already. Right? If you're asking the question, how far can I go? Or where can I go? Listen, your heart is not in the right place. And you need to rearrange your thoughts and your heart upon your knees. I believe Lot thought that he could live near it without being part of it. But before long, he was every bit right in the middle of the situation. And that's, that's the story of today. Is that not the relevant truth of this day and this age? How many of our young people think, I can keep these friends and I can keep this circle of influence and I will influence them and I will just be on the outside of them? Yet, one year later, six months later, they're in the midst of the thing, right in the middle, deeper than their heads can handle. Lot found himself in the center of a very sinful people. So that's the captivity. Um, that's why he found himself there. And that's why he fell captive, because this was a war that had nothing to do with him or his people. But because of his decision making and because of his failure to follow God and what he would desire from his life and why he chose very selfishly and very, uh, you know, short sightedly, uh, he found himself in captivity uh, for these people. And that's why he fell captive. The rescue. The rescue, and we'll be done. Abram heard that his brother was taken captive. He armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them into Dan. Now, I don't know about you, but 
if my nephew uh, would have done something like this, I would have been, I would have been tempted to say, you made the bed, now lay in it, <laughs> right? Isn't that what we're so often tempted to say with so many people that we find themselves by their own selfishness and by their own choices, finding themselves in a world of mess. Sometimes we just want to look at them and say, hey, your choices got you here. Now you deal with the consequences of it. Now to some degree, they're going to have to deal with the consequences and by every degree, they are responsible for where they are. Lot was responsible for where he was and he would have had, he had to deal with some of the consequences of it. But Abram went to the rescue. Abram said, I will go and rescue my nephew. I will go and no matter what it takes, I will go the distance and I will pursue the enemy and I will bring him home. And I want to know where are our Abrams today in the church when we see our brothers and sisters making choices that are slipping them deeper and deeper into sin instead of saying, hey, you made the bed and lay on it. Where are those that are going to seek them out and rescue them from the mess that they've got themselves in? And I said, God, make me an Abram. Don't let me just dismiss those that have got themselves in a world of hurt by their own decisions and by their own choices, but give me a heart of compassion and a heart that is willing to seek them out and to save them. Listen, it's a, it's a New Testament principle. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Galatians 6 and 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such as one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, least thou also be tempted. Right? New Testament principle. Brethren, if ye see a man overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness or gentleness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Also, uh, in James chapter 5, 19 and 20, it says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now I know the language there sounds like he's talking about unbelievers, but he's not. He's talking about believers that have slipped away uh, from the truth. And he says, he says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one converts him or, or saves him or brings him back from that error, that spiritual one going and seeking the brother in error, it says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sin. Consider that today, that it's not just a light thing. We can save our brother or sister from a death. We can save a brother and sister and cover a multitude of sins. What is he talking about there? He's saying, if we, like Abram, react like that and say, this is my duty to go and to save my brother and sister from the air of their way, then we can save them before this thing snowballs into something that is bigger than we can even touch. He says, if you can convert him, you can save him from death. And I think that's the spiritual picture, that's the lesson that's being taught here. Lot got himself in a mess because of the decisions by following the lust of his own eyes. But Abram said, I'm going to go and get my nephew out of there. I'm going to go. I'm going to take my 318 men against this great army, and we're going to go and we're going to rescue him. And I pray that God would give me that heart 
that unrelenting heart to pull my brothers and sisters out of the junk that they've got themselves to and not to ridicule and not to tear them down, but it says with meekness. And sometimes that's a stern love. That's a, to tell them exactly what they have done and to speak to them the truth of the air of their way, but nonetheless to seek them for restoration and to seek them to restore them from the air of their way. Abram went to rescue. Abram went to rescue. <laughs> And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto day. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hoab, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And the people. Abram to the rescue. I know the thought was simple tonight, uh, but it was stirring heavily on my heart. I pray that we would hold one another accountable. Not in a way that's overbearing. Not in a way that we say, you know, here's the splinter in your eye when there's a moat in mine. But in a way that says, brother and sisters, I love you. And the things that you're choosing to do right now in your life are driving you away from the Lord and making a horrible statement to those around about you. And I love you too much to let anything go without being said. 